Hello, I'm Kelly Slivka, and you're listening to the Science Line Podcast. This is the sound of science. A few days ago, I joined a few of my grad school classmates for a show at the Hayden Planetarium in New York City. We were really excited to hear a live planetarium show by one of the museum experts. It was my first time in a planetarium since I was in elementary school. Miriam Kramer, my classmate and a co-producer for the Doppler Effect, and I were floored by how advanced the planetarium experience had gotten since we were little kids. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm Kelly. Kelly. I'm Kelly. I'm, I'm Miriam. You're Ke- and I, Wait, no. I'm not You're- Kelly. <laughs> my, my name is Miriam. <laughs> I am Kelly. Here we go. The other day, we went to the planetarium, which was awesome, because I haven't been to a planetarium since I was probably 10 years old at the Denver Museum of Natural History, and uh, I was probably on a field trip. It was sweet, but it was, um, it was great to go to one again as an adult, as an educated science person. A science-minded individual. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and so yeah. the coolest thing for me going as an adult was that when I was younger and I went to the planetarium, the Big Bang Theory was just kind of this amorphous idea. You know, I don't know if the science was really firmed up on it, but I definitely wasn't learning about it at the planetarium. And there was no such thing as a quasar, and the the whole black holes at the center of galaxies thing was not really... They've learned so much astronomy-wise in the past decade, or for me it's been, you know, 16, 17 years, that I was just blown away. It was so cool to see projected on the sky the entire universe and to hear all this new science. And they had a projection of quasars, like a, you know, a video graphic design map. Yeah. It's actually a map of like all of the quasars that we know in the universe. Right. Which is just insane. And now they know so much more about what kind of galaxies surround our universe and the shape of our universe and the latticework of our universe that and the clusters. It's um yeah the clusters. clusters. So many clusters. clusters. (laughs) They're just clusters. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I actually think I remember uh, when the Rose Center first opened, I wound up going uh, in, I guess it was like fifth grade in 2000 or something like that. At the American Museum of Natural History. That's where we were. Right, right. And so I, I remember when it first opened and seeing a show with my parents and just being completely blown away by how cool everything was, but it definitely wasn't anything like on the scale that we saw. When you went, you had the pre-recorded. Yeah, it was this. Uh, it was the journey to the stars, uh, narrated by <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg. Um, but what was really neat about our trip is that we had a um, a non auto tour. Mm-hmm. We had the director of the planetarium just guiding us through a, an improv to a certain extent. Yeah, it was this live show. A basically. live show. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And if you have a chance to do that, 
I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Because it's it was uh, it was really neat to see it sort of uh, take shape because we started off in the like close up on the earth. Really zoomed in. Yeah. And then eventually we just kept moving backwards until we basically were able to see everything. Until the dome of the planetarium was visually the furthest away radiation. Right. After the Big Bang. Yeah, like the furthest that we could possibly see into the the universe. Into the universe. The beginning of the universe. Right. I talked to our planetarium guide about how the modern planetarium works. Uh, My name is Brian Abbott, and I'm the manager of the digital universe at the Hayden Planetarium and the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. The main things that we have to show stuff on our dome are we have a playback system which shows our space shows during the day. But at night we have these programs where we can show the night sky with the Zeiss projector which comes up out of the center of the floor and produces this brilliant night sky. My job here at the museum is to work on this thing we call digital universe, and that's our 3D atlas of the universe. And so what I do is being a science, culturally a science person myself and scientifically trained, I'm able to go to conferences. I know a lot of scientists. I can keep up with going on in the scientific world and integrate the data that I think not only are interesting in in 3D and they look interesting, but tell an interesting story. And so I I gather all of that data, all those data sets together, and then we put them out, whether it's in our products here, whether it's in Uniview, whether it's in other companies, we distribute them to multiple companies, and then they're shown in planetariums all over the world. Uh, Some things update quite often, for example, exoplanets which are these known systems of planets outside the solar system. And so I could actually do a weekly update on those. I don't because I don't have enough time in the day to do that. But I I, I get around to that about once a month, I would say, and I sort of see how many planets have been discovered in the last month and then add them in. And whether it's in our space shows or the live presentations, we want things to be as scientifically accurate as possible. Since the Rose Center opened in 2000, we've really wanted to keep on the high road scientifically and make sure that all of the things we use, whether it's in a space show or live, real time, are based in science. But there's more to the new planetarium experience than new science. The software behind a typical planetarium show has lately taken a huge leap. Well, it's more, I would say there's been somewhat of a boom in the last decade. And the reason for that is the basically computers, computing power is caught up with graphics power. The cost of those things has come down. So now it's, it is feasible to run an entire planetarium dome on the backbone of computer graphics. These days you can do it off almost off the shelf components and good graphics cards. So that's a big part of why planetariums are going from sort of the traditional star ball at the center of the room to full dome graphics. And that's been the big push over the last decade. So we have, so Uniview is, 
the software that we use and while we sort of have our hands on the development side of that a little bit, we don't write code, but we actually uh, work with the, the code designers to make everything look proper and the atmosphere is proper size and proper physics going on. Um, they also have formed a company called SCIS, S-C-I-S-S, and they market that software to other planetariums around the world. But you can also run it on a flat screen on a laptop. I run it on my Mac laptop. Um, it's a Windows program, so I use Bootcamp. But so it can it can run on multiple platforms. And what we can do in that software is use something they call Octopus, which allows you to connect to the same server and basically talk to one another, communicate with one another within the same Uniview session. So, for example, I could we've we've run conferences where I might be sitting in South Africa in front of an audience and see control of my laptop to someone who's here. And they can then drive us around from New York. They can drive us around in South Africa from my laptop. And there's a planetarium, a kind of a homemade planetarium in Ghana that literally was built out of raw materials. And they were given a Uniview license. And so we're able to drive their dome around from, from here in New York. Brian says that soon the universe might be at all of our fingertips. Forget Google Earth, prepare for Google Universe. We're all kind of thinking about how to make this a bit more available than just in planetarium domes. So it's, it's a conversation in progress, but we're hoping here at the museum that we can get a version out there for people to fiddle around with, even if it's just a low-cost version. If you haven't taken the time to visit your local planetarium lately, do it, even if it's the last thing you can squeeze into your long day. Your planetarium guide won't mind if you start snoring. It's pretty common. I mean, we, we give evening programs, so they start at 6.30 if people just roll out of work, or they've gone and just eaten dinner before they come in. You know, we always get a couple that kind of nod off. This podcast has been brought to you by ScienceLine.org. I'm Kelly Slivka. Thanks for listening.